0: Father, as we enter into a time of hearing your word preached, I pray that your word would go out in power and that we would sit under it in submission to it as we see it as your very words, the authority over our lives. Lord, I know that there are many, maybe not in this room, but certainly there are many in our world that, that hate this book because they hate you. I know that there are many who would hate this message. That we are made in your image to reflect what you're like to the world. That we are to be your representatives. Many would mock such a belief. God, would you grant us the grace that even in the midst of those who would assault or attack such a truth, that we would stand firm, that we would be humble and loving, but uncompromising in our commitment to the inerrancy of your Bible and the authority it has in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would protect me now from fear, from fear of man. I pray that I would fear you more than I fear people. You'd be magnified in this message. In Christ's name, amen. Well, please turn in your copy of God's Holy and Perfect Word to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be beginning in verse 26. So we continue our study through Genesis. This morning, I'm preaching a sermon that may be one of the most fundamental sermons, foundational sermons that I will ever preach. And I hope to preach for many, many years. This one may be one of the most fundamental foundational sermons. Here's what I mean by that. The subject matter of this text, Genesis 1, 26 to 31, serves as the foundation for your whole existence as a person. Everything you are, everything that you believe, everything you do, how you process and experience life, it's all connected and rooted And what this text teaches today. And here's what it teaches. What we're going to see in Genesis 1, 26 to 31 is this. God's design for mankind. God's design for mankind. There's lots of confusion, lots of debate over this issue in our world today. We see the confusion or a lack of knowledge on this subject when we hear questions like, what is the purpose of life? Where did we come from? What should we be doing? What is success in life? What is a man? What is a woman? What is the role of gender? Is gender transitive or is it fixed? Does God have purpose in how he has created mankind? I say this is one of the, the sermons, one of the most fundamental sermons I've ever preached because if you're a person, which <laughs> you are, this text demonstrates what God's design is for all of mankind. This text demonstrates what God's design is for you as a person. God's given a blueprint, so to speak, for humanity to answer these types of questions. But we as a human race, we have fallen so far from God's design that simple truths like we're gonna, that we're going to see in this text have become so offensive to so many people. So not only is this going to be probably one of the most foundational sermons I'll ever preach, it will also likely be one of the more offensive sermons that I will preach. And it's not because I'm trying to be offensive, but because people by nature hate the the design of God. I want to read this text and then explore together God's design for mankind. So look with me, Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. What is God's design for mankind? That's my question this morning. And in this text, we're gonna see God's design for all of mankind in three components. So here we go. Number one, first, You were made to resemble the likeness of God in the world. You were made to resemble the likeness of God in the world. Verse 26, I hope you have your Bibles and you'll keep them open. Verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we see the creativity of God. If you were to give me a blank sheet of paper and ask me to draw something, I would be out of ideas in about five minutes. But in Genesis, we see God's creativity is endless. Just think of the complexity and the diverseness that we see in creation. It's fascinating that a giraffe looks nothing like a gnat, and a squirrel looks nothing like a shark. We have countless varieties of trees and flowers and fruits and vegetables. God never ran out of ideas when He was creating the world. Which makes verse 26 so stunning when it says, Let us make man in our image. Out of all the things that God could have made us like, He made us like Himself. As God made the rest of creation in Genesis 1, we see the phrase repeated over and over, according to its kind. You remember that maybe from last week. So he made the sea creatures according to their kind and the birds of the air according to its kind and the creeping land animals according to their kind. But when he came to humans, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that you were made to resemble the likeness of God in the world, that you have the responsibility to reflect what he is like in the world. If you look in verse 26, image is closely connected to likeness. Verse 26 says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, to be made in the image of God means that humans are made like him. Now, there's certainly an important distinction to be made here. While humans are made like God, we are not made exactly like him. There's a distinction known as the communicable attributes of God versus the incommunicable attributes of God. Communicable versus incommunicable attributes of God. His communicable attributes are characteristics of God that that are reflected in us. They're communicated in us. So things like love, faithfulness, goodness, these are attributes of God that can be seen as shared in humans as well, though certainly not in the same way as they're seen in God. But then his incommunicable attributes, attributes not communicated in us, are characteristics of God that only he possesses and no other humans have. Things like his transcendence and his sovereignty, his being all-powerful and all-knowing. No human shares in these qualities. So while we are made in the likeness of God, we are not made exactly like him. To be made in the image of God means we are made in his likeness so that we reflect in the world what he's like. We, in a sense, are his representatives to show his character. In the ancient world, a king would mark his vast territory by putting up pictures of himself all over the king so that anywhere you went in the kingdom, they would know who it was who reigned. And in a similar sense, when God created all things, he filled the world with pictures, images of himself, so that we would reflect what the king is like. One commentator summarizes what being made in God's image means like this, quote, humans resemble God in the characteristics of reason, morality, language, a capacity for relationships governed by love and commitment, and creativity in all forms of art. All these insights can be put together by observing that the resemblances allow mankind to represent God in ruling and to establish worthy relationships with God, with one another, and with the rest of creation." End quote. Now, if you're looking at the text carefully, which I hope you do each and every week, you'll notice that it says, let us, plural, make man in our image, plural. Now, obviously God is the one who creates the world. So, who is the us and the hour that he's referencing here? Well, there are many opinions floating out there. Some suggest that God is talking to the heavenly hosts like a- angelic beings and says, let us make man in our image. And, or others suggest that he's referring to himself in the plural as, as ancient royals did during those times. And many other options exist, exist as well. But I would argue that it's clear and obvious that he's referring to the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It seems obvious if you've read the rest of the Bible and know that God presents himself in the Bible as one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, when Moses was writing Genesis, I don't know if he knew of this Trinitarian God like we do. We have the benefit of having the, the totality of Scripture. And when you look at the totality of Scripture, it seems to point to that God is referring to himself and the, the triune God. But even if we don't look at the rest of the scripture, even if you just look at this text in particular, I think you can come to the same conclusion. Verse 26 says, let us, plural, make man in our image, plural. And then verse 27 says, so God made man in his own image which suggests that the, the us and the hour of verse 26 is the same as his own in verse 27 and no one else's image. So that the his own of 27 is the us and the hour. That makes sense. It's the, the triune God. The bottom line is this. When, man, when God made man, he made him with the purpose of resembling his own likeness to the world. I want to point out two implications that come from being made in the image and likeness of God, and this is where the world hates the message of Christianity. The first implication, if we are made in the image of God, this means that our lives belong to God. Jesus was walking in the midst of people one day, and they started to ask him about Should we pay taxes or not? Same question is often asked today. Should we pay taxes? He answered them by taking a coin and showing them an image on the coin. It was the image of Caesar. And then he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. In other words, pay to him who has his image on the coin and give to God. Where's his image? All over us. There's a principle here that being made in his image means our lives belong to him and should be devoted to him in all of our purposes. Our lives belong to him. The second implication that flows from being made in the image of God is this sin is a serious offense and distorts the image of God. Sin is a serious offense. And distorts the image of God. We we're gonna see in the coming chapters of Genesis that mankind eventually rebels against God and the image is marred. This is why atheism is so blasphemous. Because people who were created to reflect and to worship God instead deny his existence and mock his image in their own bodies. A picture of this would be like turning a church building into a brothel. We would drive by such a place and lament and say that, that was created to be a house of worship and instead it's become a place of sin. This is why sin is such an offense because it's marring the image of God. This is why murder is so heinous because it's taking the life of one made in the image of God and we, have that, we don't have that right This is why abortion is sinful. Christians believe that life starts at conception. And this is a controversial issue in our culture. But please hear me clearly. This cannot be a controversial issue in the church. There is no gray area here. You cannot be a Christian and be pro-abortion. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable... It makes you squirm in your seat. Think about it like this. It's like saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm also pro-murder. And society has somehow convinced itself that the choice of a woman is somehow more important than the life of a human. We have elevated our desire for autonomy, freedom, and choice over the value of life. And this is the exact same sin that took place in the garden. So Adam and Eve had a choice between life and death. If you eat of the tree, you will die. And what did they do? They elevated their desire for autonomy, freedom, and choice over the value of life. And what did it bring? Death. And every year in America and all around the world, men and women have the choice between life and death and they rationalize to themselves that it is their right to have autonomy, freedom, and choice over their bodies and as a a result, millions of unborn babies are slaughtered all at the expense of choice. But in the end, they will have no choice, no freedom, nor rights. They will scream for justice and the God of justice will give them justice and the judgment that is due. You cannot be Christian and pro-abortion. Why? Because every baby is made in the image of God and God is always pro-life. And I, wanna, I just wanna say a brief word here, just as important. If you've ever had an abortion or if you've ever helped someone have an abortion, I wanna be just as clear That God's grace is sufficient for you. When we get to heaven, we're going to meet all sorts of women who had an abortion and then experience the abundance of God's grace, which brought them to repentance, and they're going to be enjoying the kingdom of heaven. Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. There is grace available for you that will free you from the guilt and shame that Satan would want you to live in. If God has forgiven you, do not let Satan condemn you. The work of the cross was sufficient. The same grace that forgave Saul, the murderer, And David, the adulterer and murderer, and Peter, the denier, and the thief on the cross in the last moment, that same grace is sufficient for you today because Jesus accomplished it for you. So you don't have to live in guilt for what Jesus has already paid for. When Satan would remind you of your past failures, remind him of Jesus' finished work on your behalf because the grace of Jesus is higher and deeper and wider than any darkness of sin that you've committed in your past. This is the good news of the gospel that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, there is grace in the cross of Christ to forgive you, to redeem you, and to adopt you as a child of God. Sin is a great offense because it mars the image of God. Another distortion of God's image is the sin of racism. This is why racism is so wicked because it's looking at someone made in the likeness of God and determining that they are somehow lesser value. You cannot be a Christian and be a racist. If that makes you uncomfortable, consider 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. What's your attitude toward those of a different color than you? Those of a different nationality? Is there any discrimination, any crooked thoughts, even a little bit? Only you can answer that question as you examine your thoughts and motives. But let me just say, every person that you meet, every person that I meet, whether white or black or brown, short or tall, southern or northern, country folk or city people, American, foreigner, educated, not educated, disability or not, every person is made in the image and likeness of God and is deserving of our love, respect, kindness, and honor. As you encounter others who are different from you, challenge yourself by saying, this person was made in the image of God, not in the image of me. As image bearers of God, when we sin, we are not resembling his likeness, we are smearing it. This is why sin is a serious offense and a distortion of God's image. So, being made in the image of God means we are to resemble the likeness of God in the world, which means our lives belong to Him. And we should fight against sin because it's a serious offense and distortion against His image. This is the first design of God for mankind that you were made to resemble the likeness of Him. Second, you were made distinctively male or female. See this in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now just because God created both male and female in his image, that does not mean that God himself is male and female. Instead, it points to the fact that males and females are equally made in his image, that females bear just as much image as males do, which means any sort of male domineering or chauvinistic attitude towards women as a lesser creature is sinful and dishonoring to the design of God for mankind both men and women are created equal in the sight of god both having their proper roles and responsibilities however we see in this text that there is meant to be a very noticeable and categorical distinction between men and women so this this must be said today without hesitation without confusion i'm, I'm not trying to sound too simplistic I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I'm not trying to sound jovial or or humorous or elementary. I'm not trying to rah-rah preach to the crowd here. I need to say it clearly, though, especially in the culture we live in. God created male and female, which means if you're a man, God created you to be a man and to stay a man. If you're a female, he created you to be a woman and to stay a woman. This is God's decision, and only God gets to make it. God made men and women equal in dignity and honor, but he also made them with concrete lines of identity that should never be crossed or smeared or blurred or compromised. Gender was God's design. It was his idea, and he made two genders, male and female, which means all else is a distortion of his design and a sin against him as creator. This means transgenderism is a sinful distortion of image and identity. The LGBTQIA movement is a sinful distortion of identity and an assault against the image of God. I watched some of the highlights from the hearings this week of senators questioning Judge Amy Barrett. One senator took offense that Judge Barrett would use the term, quote, sexual preference. The senator was offended because in her mind, sexuality has gone beyond the point of mere preference. In her mind, one sexuality was simply, wasn't simply a preference, but an actual identity. People like the senator and others who give room for sexuality outside of God's design for male and female in marriage shouldn't be worried about language that offends them. They should be more concerned about a lifestyle they are promoting offending God as it distorts His design in such a grotesque way. Given the design of God that men and women should procreate, there's a natural anatomy and a relationship between the genders that support God's design and, and, go, and to go against it would be unnatural as Romans 1 describes it. We're going to see this in just a moment where God says, be fruitful and multiply. But parents, as your children, or grandparents, as your grandchildren, as they begin to see the distortion of sexuality in our our society, and they begin to ask you questions, how will you answer them? Don't say, well, honey, some people are just made like that. And don't say, well, son, it's okay if some people choose to do that. No, we we need to say humbly and lovingly that the distortion of sexuality is an unnatural relationship. It's one that's sinful and dishonoring to the God who made them. And we need to say God is able to save them and redeem them. I want to say a word here to anyone who struggles in these areas. If you struggle with the temptation of same-sex attraction or any of these distortions of God's image, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. You don't have to give in to your desires of the flesh. Just like a man may fight against the sin of lust for his female coworker or a computer screen filled with pornography, you too, by God's grace, can fight against the temptation of same-sex attraction. I also want you to know that you're not a weirdo out in left field by yourself. You're a sinner in need of grace just like the rest of us. Jesus died on a cross to pay for the sexual sins of his people too. The grace of God is able to forgive you and to empower you to fight against sin just like every Christian should. And let me say a word to the church family. This is more common than you may think. And, it's, and it, as it becomes more prevalent and open in the coming days, be prepared to embrace brothers and sisters who struggle with this temptation. Never to embrace the lifestyle, certainly not, but be there to help them fight against sinful desires of the flesh. We should be a church that's able to help people who who struggle with same-sex attraction, just, as like, just like we would help a brother or sister who are, who are struggling for, against lust. We need to be there to help each other fight against the sin. That we wouldn't just look at them from the outside, but that we would be there for them, that we would be there with them, that we would be the church. By God's design, he made them male and female. Verse 27 is very clear here. But this goes beyond mere biology and anatomy. Parents, you should be having conversation with your boys about what it means to be a boy and your girls about what it means to be a girl. They're going to be trained in manhood and womanhood by someone. Someone. And we have political candidates to this day who say it's okay if seven and eight-year-old kids want to be transgender. And God has given you the responsibility as parents and grandparents to teach them otherwise. Start early. You don't have to go into all the details very young, but start early and allow the conversations to progress as they get older. I try to tell my son Lincoln on a regular basis, Lincoln, what does it mean to be a man? Men should serve, love, lead, protect, provide. You can remember it by S-L-L-P-P. Serve, love, lead, protect, provide. This is God's design and boys and girls today need to be trained at it from a very young age what it means to be a biblical man and a biblical woman. Why? Because you are made distinctively male and female and that's under attack everywhere. So, God's design for mankind is you were made to resemble the likeness of God in the world. Second, you were made distinctively male or female. And third, and finally, you were made to rule the earth, to rule the earth. We see this in verse 26, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then in verse 28, we read, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over it. The text uses words like dominion, fill, subdue to indicate that the rule mankind has over the earth. If mankind is to resemble what God is like in the world by being his representatives, then mankind is to rule over the earth as God would have them. The rule that includes dominion it is to have authority and the freedom to rule the earth under, the, under God's charge. This authority should be properly applied and understood. Humans should be good stewards of the dominion, looking to lead over the earth and its creatures in ways that promote health and prosperity. We shouldn't take advantage of the rule, but we should exercise it wisely. We should be good stewards of the environment, the various species. We should work hard to maintain quality air and water. We should avoid things in proper proportion like littering and waste and pollution. We should care for the world, its creatures, and all of its creations. Why? Because God has given us the design to rule the world in his charge. This also means we are to subdue the world. This means we should keep to keep it under control. This is why you should cut your grass. I say that half-jokingly, but we should keep it under control. It's a job given by God to mankind. This is why it's okay to treat your home for termites. This is why it's okay for people in Africa to protect their lands and their properties from lions because mankind has the authority to and right to subdue the earth, to keep it under control. Whatever job that you work in, you you have been given a small Slice, to rule over, to have dominion over, to subdue, to work hard in. This is a job for mankind. This rule that mankind has also has one more component procreation. God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with offspring. By God's design, He created male and female differently. This is where it connects from verse 26. On, He created male and female differently on purpose. And one reason he created them complementary to each other was so that they could reproduce. There's a natural order of biology here that's obvious. I would say, don't be on this. Don't be so smart that you turn dumb. God created two genders so that the two different genders would be joined together in a way that science and biology confirms to bring about a natural reproduction. But catch this irony in a culture that we live in. Those that deny the fixed nature of two genders try to use science to deny God but then ignore science and the natural bodily makeup that God has designed. The same people who say, you don't have a choice when it comes to sexual desires, then say, it's only your choice when referring to gender. How absurd is that? Part of ruling the earth includes the natural procreation between a man and a woman, and that's one reason he made them male and female. Another word of encouragement here, if you struggle with infertility, I want to say that you are not somehow less human. You're not, it's not like you're, you're unable to resemble God and his image in the same way faithfully as others some of the greatest women in the bible were told of the story of how they they just weren't able to have children and then god blessed them with them later in life think about abraham and sarah goodness what a wonderful example of this they trusted the lord in his wisdom and as they walked through that i want to encourage you that nothing is impossible with god he uses every trial and heartache for our good. And remember last week, when you don't understand God's way, don't doubt his will. He has good plan for you, even in infertility. And I want to encourage you to say, if, if, if that's something that you're facing today, you are bringing God glory in some way that others can't. Here we see in this fundamental text God's design for mankind. His design was that they would be made in his image to resemble the likeness in, his likeness in the world. They would be made distinctly male and female and that they would rule the earth as his representatives through dominion and procreation. I want to close like this. Think about how Adam and Eve, how good they had it. I mean, these were literally the good old days. God called them good days. They had it all privilege of being like God, responsibility to rule like God, relationship with God, joy of companionship with each other, blessing of reproduction, provision of food in a lush garden, and they had it all. But they ruined it. Clearly, I mean just look around you. They distorted the image of God. They wanted to rule as God, not like God. Relationship with God was broken. Com- companionship was complicated. Reproduction was hindered. Sin spread. Provision cursed. That's the state that we live in. Born into ruin, participating in it with our sinful natures, feeling the effects of the fall all around us. But thankfully, this was not the end result of God's design for mankind. Here's the climax of mankind. Of all of human history, God became man. And when He did, He brought redemption and restored people to himself. I want to close by reading Colossians 1:15 to 20. As I read this, catch the link between Jesus this is talking of Jesus and His creation of the world to what he came to do in the end. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Oh God, we give you praise for your wonderful design and creation, your wonderful design for mankind. And we know that we are born into the race of Adam that ruined it, that sinned against you, that rebelled against you, and we are born with the same sinful hearts. But we're thankful, Lord, that that you have provided redemption through Jesus. We're thankful that we can see in your word your design for mankind, that we could stand upon that the fact that we are made in your image to resemble your likeness, that we're made male or female, that we're made to rule the earth. And Father, how often we get so far from that design. I pray that you would continually bring us back and that we, that we really would live in light of what it means to be made. In your image. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.